year and just to observe the work of the Lord here. Terrific to see the children here this morning. Aren't they the best? The best children I've ever seen tumbling around, praising the Lord and not making any noise. I think that's a miracle. <laughs> so it's a fabulous hour to be alive. I wouldn't be alive any other, I wouldn't like to be alive any other time rather than now. It's a climactic time of history. Lord, I thank you for this season of celebration, season of joy. And we do just, just always just praise and thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, and your mercies that never, ever come to an end. So, Lord, release a word of encouragement, revelation, insight, hope, healing, direction, vision to all of us. As we take, give you our five loaves and two fish, take it in your big hands and make it a feast for everyone with baskets left over to give to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to the one beside you, punch them on the shoulder and say, something good's going to happen to you. <laughs> It's a wonderful time to be alive. And you know, for Israel, for the Jewish people, the Feast of Tabernacles is the climax of the year. It's Christmas, Easter, all rolled together in one big bundle. An eight-day season of celebration. Nobody hardly does any work during the course of the year, of the, of the week. It's just a super time of joy, hospitality, celebration. But it's all centered around, the God, around God, celebrating the faithfulness of God and his ultimate plan. Two weeks ago, when we were in Israel, I had to, uh, I needed to buy some AA batteries. I went into a store and there was a guy there, a real tough looking guy. You know, he got a t-shirt with a skull on it, you know, just to show how tough he was. And uh, I said, a um, bit of a mess over the elections. Yes, he said, a big mess over the elections. I said, we really probably need the Messiah. He said, you've got that one right. The Messiah is the only one who can help us sort out the big mess we're in. For Israel, the Messiah is not just a fantasy or a spiritual, mystical thing. It's, he's a real leader going to come to get us out of our mess. The great philosopher Hegel, you ever hear of Hegel? He had this um, philosophical idea called dialectical idealism. And Marx picked it up when he was in Manchester, dialectical materialism. And I, Hegel had this idea that the world history was propelled by great thoughts and great ideas. And a, a thought would run its course and would give birth to another series of thoughts. And that's what propelled history and politics. He saw that the construct of um, feudalism was being replaced by the construct of democracy, and he saw that democracy would yield to something else. This balance of ideas, clashing ideas would come and reach a, a synthesis of ideas that would produce a new order. Something in all that, but we know that the heavens were framed by the word of God, and that God has a, a plan for history that's been propelled through history, in, in and through the chaos of history, there is the plan, the eternal plan of God released by his word. And the ideas contained in his word are being embraced by believers, communicated to our spirits, embraced, believed, prayed, made real, substantiated by our faith. And this faith gives substance not just to the things that are unseen, but also the things that are hoped for. And... The Feast of Tabernacle represents the hope 
of the ages, the hope for world redemption, the hope of all humanity, that this present fragmented world order would release and give birth through all this travail to something more wonderful. And it seemed the Israelis, they believe uh, that this era of democracy is going to give way, just like the feudal era gave, yielded to the democratic age, that the democratic age is coming to an end and we're coming to the age of the king, rule of the king. Isn't that amazing? Forty years ago, one of the uh, Jewish mystics, he said, there'll come a day, they asked him, when will the Messiah come? This is not the Bible now, but this is just a conjecture. He said, when will the Messiah come? And this saintly man said, he said, the Messiah will come when they'll have elections in Israel and there'll be no government. Then they will have more elections and there will still be more no government. At that time, the people will cry out for the Messiah and he will come. Isn't that amazing? Chaos gives, real, gives ground to another new order. And surely we're at the threshold of the coming of the Lord. They asked Jesus, Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Interesting. And when he was ascending, they asked him, will you at not at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now they had heard him say on the cross, it is finished. Nevertheless, they knew that he still had some unfinished business. See, that we, the church has built its theology around the statement, it is finished. But the scriptures also revealed that there's so much that is left unfinished. The work of redemption, the work of atonement, the work of reconciliation, the work of the cancellation of our debt is finished on the cross. But the redemption of the planet and the rule of the king still remains to be seen. That's why they were asking him, Lord, aren't you forgetting something? What about the Davidic throne? What about the Davidic covenant? What about the promise that you made that David's son would rule from Jerusalem over all the nations? And he said to them, he didn't say that's a silly question. He said, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and seasons fixed by the Father's authority, but you should receive power, power to transmit the gospel and to live the gospel to the ends of the earth. Then when they asked him on the Mount of Olives, what would be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? He told them, first, the city of Jerusalem will be scattered. The people will go into exile. They'll come back. Jerusalem will come back under Jewish control. And at that, when you see these things happen, you look up, your redemption draws nigh. And there's this great groaning and travail throughout the whole earth among believers, among non-believers, for an age that's greater. And we know it's the rule of the Messiah. So we have focus to our hope. For others, it's a vague hope. They hope the world will be, will be improved by technology or by education. But we know education can make the foolish people even more fool, foolish. And it can make people into atheists. Education, of course, is extremely important. But without the guiding light of the leader and of his truth, we have no, we're rudderless. We're at the climax of history. The feasts of Israel reveal this plan of God for world redemption. In Leviticus chapter 23, you mentioned, he, he, he lists the seven feasts of Israel. 
Feast of Tabernacles is the climactic feast. There is a climax to world history. We are going someplace. Humanity is going to a destination. The destination, there'll come a time when wars will cease. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's an amazing time that's coming. We're hoping for this. We're working for this. We're praying for this. And there's a first fruit people who already are entering into the spiritual realities of these things through the gospel, through faith in this. The greatest movement on the earth today is the, out, is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the advance of the kingdom. Jesus, when they asked him what would be the sign of his coming at the end of the age, he told them that, about the future of Israel and Jerusalem. But he also said that at that time, this gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a witness to every nation. So this gospel of the kingdom, something more than the gospel of salvation, it's a gospel of the ultimate, climactic, complete reign of the Messiah over all the earth. That's our hope. The end of it is we win. We win, and the in, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. A documentary two weeks ago on one of the American major secular channels was about the revival in Iran. We've all heard about that revival in Iran. But it was interesting, in this documentary, some of the pastors were witnessed, were, were interviewed. And they gave their witness. And they said, most people do, in the West, a few people in the West know this, but the, the mosques in Iran are empty. People are sick and tired of Islam. And they are turning in millions to Jesus, the Messiah. This move, movement has no, it said in the documentary, has no central headquarters. It has no buildings. And it is led mostly by women. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Probably women who are dressed in burqas <laughs> behind that veil. In many cases, is a burning heart of people truly liberated. Something is happening. Something is shaking all over this world. It's the release of the gospel of the kingdom. These are amazing days. Now in the West, in Europe, we have old forms of Christianity that are dying. In Quebec, the second largest province, of the most heavily populated province in Canada, which 50 years ago was totally Christian. It's the Catholic section of Canada. Less than 1% are going to church, and it has now been declared by the missionary organizations as an unreached people group, the people of Quebec. All forms, unless they're breathed, life is breathed into them, and this gospel of the kingdom comes to them. A lot of our old Christianity has become an inoculation dose. What about Britain? Can the br these dry bones live? Yes, <laughs> indeed they can, because there's an Ezekiel company, as well as an Elijah company, and they're speaking to the dry bones. They shall live. They shall stand to their feet. They shall prophesy to the wind, to the dry bones. That's preaching. To the wind, that's prayer, calling on the breath of God to cause these people come alive and throw off their grave clothes. The seven feasts of Israel are recorded in Leviticus chapter 23. We know them. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. 
They were at the spring harvest. Spring harvest. There's an organization here in UK, spring harvest. Then there's a, they were in the springtime of the year. Then 50 days later was the counting 50 days. They were to come back up to Jerusalem for another festival. And that was at Pentecost. The word Pentecost comes from the counting of 50. Greek word for 50 is Pentecost. That's where we get the word Pentecostal. Another dimension. Another festival. And then at the end of the year, there were three harvest festivals in the autumn of the year. Trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. Each of these feasts, they have a triple meaning. They commemorate something in Jewish history. They point to an aspect of the ministry of the Messiah, of Yeshua, of Jesus. They point to some aspect of his redeeming work. And then they also have a personal side to us, our ongoing transformation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, We all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of God as in the mirror, we are being transformed. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. When he appears, we shall be like him. In other words, what begins at Passover with our birthing into the kingdom of God has a conclusion when we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, when the fullness of the life and nature of Jesus is manifested in us. That's where we're headed. Jesus fulfilled the Feast of Passover. He died exactly on the day of Passover. He kept this timetable. Table. It's almost like these feasts are a code form of the life of Jesus. This prophetic a blueprint. A blueprint doesn't look anything like the building. But in the blueprint, you see the plan of the building. It's a shadow. It's a shape. But the substance is the actual building. The God's dialectic released by his word, which cannot return void. It has been propelled from heaven. It has been spoken from heaven. It's unstoppable because God cannot lie and that which he promises he much fulfill. As truly as he lives, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. This earth will be, will be released from its bondage and the present world order will be rolled away and replaced by the kingdom of God. We're the first fruits of it. Passover. He died exactly on the feast of Passover. 2,000 years before we were born. Then we had our personal Passover. We realized the meaning of this. That God was in Christ. And in him. Successfully transferred unto Jesus. All the guilt. All the shame. All the disgrace. All the humiliation. All the wrong, all the ordin judicial ordinances against every single one of us, he successfully transferred them unto Jesus to lift them off us. So that in believing these things, we are restored into God's presence, squeaky clean, as if we had never sinned. Ha <laughs> ha. That is incredible. Wow. That's the blood of Jesus. Through him, God successfully transferred the guilt unto him. He didn't just say, oh, sin doesn't matter anymore. I've reformed my teaching. He didn't. He upheld his teaching by transferring the guilt of every single one of us onto Jesus. And on believing in that, we're restored into perfect standing with him. Though our sins be as scarlet, they become as white as a wool. 
And that's where I stand. Not on the basis of my achievement, but on the basis of his achievement. That's Passover. We've passed from guilt, from death, from shame, into his marvelous light. We're fully accepted in the beloved. It's incredible. We want the whole world to know this. Most people in Liverpool, most people in the UK, most people out there, they think they're not good enough for God, so they shouldn't be hypocrites and pretend they're good enough for God. But they completely misunderstand. Christianity is for, the, is for those who have failed to establish their relationship with God based on their performance, but they discovered that he did enough. <laughs> and then there's a second level. After Passover comes on, on, on leavened bread, co- commemorating from coming out of Egypt, they were going to a new destiny. Their destiny in the land of promise. And so they left no time for the bread to rise. No yeast, no leaven in the bread. As soon as we are born again, as soon as we come to the record that our sins are cancelled and we're fully accepted, adopted in the household of the Father, totally accepted in this amazing new dimension of his love and grace and mercy, when we stand in that dimension, we're instantaneously given a new destiny. Not the destiny we had from our heredity. Not the destiny we had from our parents' plans for us. But a destiny in heaven for every single one of us. That we should be the sons and daughters of God. And that we should live for the heavenly interests. Even though we go through this earth full of practical things to be done and jobs and to be uh, uh, labored at. Our destiny is from heaven. It's tied up into the destiny of our leader. We're loosed from our Adamic destiny to be co-sons and co-daughters of God with Jesus. (laughs) That's who you are. And immediately, those Jewish people, when they applied the blood to the doorposts, they were on a journey. They were out of here to a land of destiny. You and I are people of destiny. We've been tampered with. I'm Irish, but I'm not typically Irish. I've been tampered with. You're British, but you're not typically British. You're tampered with. Your hearts are set in pilgrimage. You belong to the kingdom of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Moving from heaven, returning to heaven, shining his light and love and grace and mercy and goodness into this world around you. You're his special people, people of destiny. So often in evangelical Christianity, they come to the testimony of the blood without embracing the new destiny. That's when it really begins. That's when the fun really begins. As we embrace our destiny, give ourselves over to that destiny. They went through the waters of the Red Sea. Unleavened bread commemorates that. They realize they're finished with that old destiny to embrace their future. Whatever misery was in your past, whatever disgrace and shame was in your past, You've been emancipated from it. It's not who you are now. Who you was is not who you is. (laughs) Now we are the sons of God. Of course, the accuser tries to keep us impaled in our old identity. But we put on the new identity, the mind of Christ. We embrace these things. The world will recognize that that the Father has loved us even as he has loved Jesus. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, going to our new identity. And in that, in that 
new identity, the core of it is the implanting into us a new nature, the heavenly nature of the heavenly man breathed into us. The Adamic nature, the rogue nature, the selfish nature, the greedy nature, the covetous nature, the lust nature has been extracted and replaced with the nature of the heavenly man, Jesus. So now the same nature that was in Jesus is in you and me. But that's not the end. Because coming to tabernacles, it is the discovery, the entry into the fullness of our inheritance. The inheritance is there. But now we've got to enter into the fullness of what we already have. It's like somebody getting a real fancy iPhone or something with a thousand apps and they've been working with two apps like the phone and the email or the phone and the Google but then you get a teenager and they show them 400 different apps what they can do with that even an app for Thomas Cook to go and, tra go and travel but the dimensions of our redemption that are already given but that we have to enter into by yielding ourselves to them by the revelation of the Holy Spirit who leads us into all these realities. That's a lifetime. That's an eternity of discovery. So that we come not to get more from God, but to discover more of what's already given. And for this reason, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you be clothed with power from high, the fourth feast. Commemorating in Jewish history, the giving of the law the giving of the truth, the giving of God's standards to Moses on Mount Sinai. And nevertheless, at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, he said, none of you obey Moses' law. It doesn't seem to be working. Because Moses' law was not a pattern that they could keep. Moses' law was a pattern which God would fulfill in them by putting his spirit in them. So the first Pentecost, which was Mount Sinai. At Pentecost, the Jewish people commemorate the giving of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. Moses went up Mount Sinai. The law was written on tablets of stone by a fiery finger. And when Moses came down the mountain, he saw that everybody had committed idolatry with the golden calf. He broke the tablets of stone in frustration and anger. He commanded the Levites to take out their swords, short swords, knives, and to kill the people involved in the idolatry. So 3,000 people were struck dead that day. That's pretty tough, isn't it? No wonder people are afraid to go to church. <laughs> but we're not come to that mountain. We're in a new dimension. Because on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit came down writing the law of the spirit of life, not on tablets of stone, but in the hearts and minds of the disciples. And they were filled with such exuberance, such joy, and such boldness, the heavenly nature of Jesus flowing through them. They went and preached the gospel boldly, without fear, without intimidation. And they took out, taking out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, not a physical sword. As they preached, 3,000 people came alive. It's amazing, the new dimension. Now, most believers function with a little bit of Moses in the middle and a little bit of Yeshua. They're mixed. But looking up Mount the Transfiguration, they saw only Jesus. This tremendous dimension 
it is finished on the cross, all men can come streaming to his goodness and receive his mighty Holy Spirit. Now in these days, God is anointing not a clergy class, but millions of ordinary believers to carry this word of God. In fact, we're told he takes the weak things of this world, the base, the nobodies. What are the base things? The Greek word there is agenios, like atheist, a, without, genius, without genealogy. The people at the bottom of the social order. The people without any pedigree. He's going to touch them in a special way. He's going to raise them up. He's going to give them a voice. They'll have their accent. They'll have their regional accent. They'll have the accent of the place they come from. But they will speak the word with such conviction, such purity, and such power that confound the strong. A huge revolution is on us as the Holy Spirit begins to move and sweep and anoint the base, what we call the base things of this world, and raises them up as sons and daughters of God and gives them their voice. Pentecost has been restored to the body of Christ for about the last hundred years. But it's only two-thirds through the three great festal seasons with the seven feasts. But Pentecost is only two-thirds. You cannot get the work of God with the two-thirds. You need the fullness. And the Feast of Tabernacles is the Feast of Ingathering. That speaks to me that there will be in the end of the age a great in-gathering of souls. Now the people talk about the falling away. <laughs> there is a falling away, but that's a falling away to prepare for a greater in-gathering. Don't buy that negativity. That's of the devil to keep us locked up in fear, in hopelessness and despair. This is the hour of the in-gathering. This is the hour of the Spirit of God upon people. And this is the hour of fullness. Where we're not only entering into a realm of restoration to his grace, but we're entering into an impartation of his life. And we're going even further than restoration to his grace and impartation of his life and anointing to his, do his works. We're going to one step, level further. Jesus speaks about it in John 17, his sermon, his message, during the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, the climax, there is a climax to world history. It's just upon us. The nations will rage. There will be wars until the end. Evil forces will come to destroy Israel, but the Lord will destroy them on his appearing. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever, whoever, whoever believes in me. As the scripture, whether they're Muslim background, whether they're women wearing burqas in Muslim, in Muslim countries, whether they're refugees, whether they're people at the bottom of the social totem pole, when they come to Jesus in these last days, his power and presence will be so strong flowing into them that it will also flow out of them. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, because the scripture is the release of God's dialectical plan spoken from the throne of heaven. His word spoken at the beginning in cryptic form in the feast will be accomplished and the earth will give its increase. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his belly, the King James says, will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive, for as yet the Spirit has not yet been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. It's the Spirit of the glorified Jesus, not just the resurrected Jesus, but the glorified Jesus. The Jesus we're in union with right now is the Jesus as he is right now. He was six hours on the cross, but he's moved through that to the realm of the resurrection. And now he's in the realm of his glory. That's the life that's in you. The life of the glorified Jesus. What's the difference between tabernacles and Pentecost here with respect to the Spirit? At Pentecost, we receive. We receive healing. We receive the Holy Spirit. We receive anointing. We receive touches. We receive blessings. We receive mercies. But at tabernacles, that life that was in the Son that has come pouring into us, starts pouring out of us. The great achievement of the Lord is not just only to, not only to get his life into us, but to get his life pouring out of us. We have been in a training season this last 40 years, about 40 years we're coming to Kingsway. We've been in a training season these last 40 years. That training season is coming to an end. And now a release season. You don't train people forever. You release them to do the stuff. The greatest accomplishment of the Lord will be to get his life flowing out of us. <laughs> Not just Christ in me. I've got it there like a certificate. It's in the wall or it's in my filing cabinet somewhere. No, that the life of Jesus will be flowing out of us and that we give ourselves over not only to be receivers, but to be transmitters of three things, of his receivers of his ways, which come from him being the way living in us, his ways, in all his ways, gracious, kind, good, and compassionate, upright because of the fruit of the Spirit rising in us, his ways, his words, he who hears these words of mine and does them. His words, the guiding principles of our lives. His words, made alive. <laughs> made alive in us. His words fulfilled in us. Be it done, a great prayer of Mary. I tell Catholics, pray the prayer of Mary. They say, oh yeah, I'll say another Hail Mary. No, I say, pray the prayer of Mary. I'll say another Hail Mary. No, pray the prayer of Mary, which is, be it done to me according to your word. <laughs> That God's a mighty word, that we should be like him. That his words, we should, his words will be manifest in us. And the third level, that his works, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these, because I go to the Father. He who believes in me, John 14, 12. John 3, 16. He who believes in me. And John 7 here. Here at the Feast of Tabernacles. Whoever believes in me. So in these days, what's going to come from the body of Christ will be a, 
of moving from the training season to the entering into the final harvesting season, a moving from a season of passive, mostly passivity, to a, a level of manifesting the nature, character, ways, and works of Jesus. Manifest your glory. And as this manifest glory of the Lord comes out of us, the world will recognize, as Jesus prayed, that the Father has loved us even as he has loved Jesus. And the glory which the Father has given to him, that glory will manifest through the members of the body of Christ. Ask the Lord to show you how you can manifest his presence every single day. Every day he will give you those opportunities. Not just witnessing, but in some way of bringing his love, his kindness, his hope, his good cheer, his healing, his inspiration to somebody he'll place across your way. He'll also give you strategies. He'll also give you your ministry. He'll also give you your assignment. He'll also give you your direction. Because as disciples, there's no getting lost in the crowd. We're coming to the feast of fullness. Yes, we're looking for the coming of the Lord. But we're also looking for the feast of fullness. When we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is awesome. These are great and tremendous days. We will have a season of ingathering. There will be a falling off of old medieval structures and shapes and forms of things because we're in the end of the end of the age. The culture has changed so much. You can't go back to 19th century forms or early 20th century forms. People are never, ever, ever, ever going back to those forms. They're not going back to Downton Abbey era. Not going to happen. They kind of enjoy looking at it and say how beautiful and everything, but they're not going back there. The people of the 21st century are people of destiny. God's propelling them to an encounter with himself. They're alive for the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles when all the truth and all the blessings and all the revelations of all the revivals are going to come together in one huge tidal wave of the Spirit of God. And we're going to get in on the act. Lula, would you share here? There's a little bit, you know, a controversy. We have arrived. The Feast of Glory, Tabernacles is the Feast of the Glory of the Lord. And there's a sense, you know, Jesus said, and we believe it, that the glory which the Father has given me, I've given you. So, you know, over the years, uh, you know, going to Israel for the Feast of Tabernacles, I have the many books written about the glory of God, and like it's another touch. And it's not another touch because we have the glory. Uh, I, I've, over the, year, the last few years, I've sensed that something about the glory of the Lord is, is what he showed to Moses. He showed himself. Uh, Moses said, show me your glory. And it says in uh, Exodus 33 and 34, the Lord passed before him. And I just love this. Merciful, this is the character of God, the God who's here this morning. You know, his, his word has the light in it. And when we're talking about his word and we're sharing something that's in the word, it has a power in it. And he said, the Lord, merciful, his mercy is here. Gracious, his grace is here. This is the glory of God.
merciful, great, long-suffering. Sometimes we don't even put up with ourselves, but God puts up with us. He died for us. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, full of goodness and truth. All of that is in operation here today. That's his word. And he showed, that's what he, the Lord passed before Moses. And he showed him, I believe, that was his glory. And then Jesus says, the glory, that was Jesus. Jesus came to satisfy the justice of God. Mercy triumphs over justice. It's fully satisfied. And he manifested that. He manifested the glory of God. And he said, to have seen me is to have seen the Father. Now, if Jesus has given us his glory, the tabernacles is the feast of glory. This is the aspect of it that we have already received. We should manifest the character of God. I fail, but I desire mercy, grace, long suffering. Sometimes it's hard to put up with people. Have you noticed? <laughs> Full of goodness and truth. There's a battle for truth today. But he's put that into you. If you're a, if you're, if you're a lover of the word of God, his truth is in you. So we have the glory. So, okay, if to have seen Jesus is to see the Father, because of that glory, to have seen you, to have seen me, should be to see Jesus. And that that manifests. So in that dimension, we have the glory. We have had an, a taste of tabernacles. They call the feast a taste of tabernacles. But there's another dimension because we're really between Pentecost, as Paul has said there, we're between the timing, the fulfillment of Pentecost and the outward manifestation. It's all to do with this manifestation of the glory of God. And it's a time of warfare. We're in a battle. That's what trumpets is about. I believe the restoration of Jerusalem to Jewish control was trumpets, a wake-up call to battle. And you need to know your authority. There's a big battle. You know, some people say, oh, the world is coming to bits, it's an evil thing. All the evil that we see is the work of the enemy. And you have authority. You have authority in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, not just the saying of the name, but the awareness of what the victory that he won on Calvary, when he paid the price, but not only that, the victory of the amazing resurrection. And it's in you. He wants you to manifest it. He wants you to take authority, to be aware of it, give them no ground. They go about day and night. Who do they accuse? Who do they put stumbling blocks in? The brethren, to make you think you can't do it, you're no good, or whatever. You're the warriors. You're his warriors. And he's giving you the glory. And you can manifest that glory. It's all about, you know, this is a song. I think I've said this to you last year. Uh, by your spirit, I will rise to declare your victory. And the Lord corrected me. I, like, I love that song about, about the resurrection. But he said, I want you not just to declare it, to manifest it. 
manifested. You have his glory, he's given you his power, but we want the outward manifestation of the glory of the Lord and the victory of the Lord. So we're going for the fullness, and we're going to be the warriors to cooperate with God in bringing tabernacles in outward manifestation. Now, I want, you, I want you to stand, and we'll just seal this with a prayer. And in this, as you stand, I want you to, pres- if you're in agreement, to present yourselves to be manifestors of the life of Jesus like never before. Lord, I ask you that you would so overshadow us with the Holy Spirit that Christ would dwell in our heart through faith, believing that he lives in us, that we are his tabernacle, And that, Lord, you would manifest your ways, your words and truth, and your works through the lives of every single one of us. And that your life would come not just into us, but it would come like rivers out of our hearts and out of our minds and out of our words and out of our deeds and out of our actions. We declare that through the blood of Jesus... No one believing in your blood is damaged goods, second-class citizens, disqualified, relegated to the fifth division. But every one of us are fellow citizens with all the saints sent by you to be shining lights in our generation. And now, Lord, I ask for a release of your fullness. And as you communicate to the hearts and the minds of each one of us, you'd create amazing assignments and opportunities for the beautiful, for your beautiful life and light and words and works to come out of every single one of us. That UK will be lit up with the glory of the Lord coming out of the body of Christ with a level of authority and boldness and freedom because you're rising in us as never before. We ask you, Lord, that disillusionment with the present democratic order will cause people to look to the realm of the kingdom of God, to the faithful one. And Lord, let your reign in your people just absolutely increase. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah. So now, if anybody wants to come forward for a new start with the Lord or for healing prayer or to give your heart to the Lord for the first time or for baptism of the Spirit or for a release of your assignments, come forward and I'll hand back to David. Thank you, David.